I was really very arrogant, actually, in thinking all my skills translate to the private sector. And guess what? They don't. The pivot point for me was meeting somebody who had a similar background to me and could mentor me into the private sector. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Veteranpreneurs and building an EP or investigations business, surely it's the preserve of every former service personnel to start something new. I'm here with John Moss, and today we're going to be talking with Scott Walker about this rather all-encompassing topic. Um, how are you doing, John? Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very excited for today's interview. It really resonates with me, given that I'm ex-services myself. But l- looking at it more broadly, I'm thinking that this is going to be of interest to all of our listeners and certainly everyone in the security industry, because even if you're not from a law enforcement or services background, I think we, for the most part, share a very common mentality. And I don't know if that's, you know, because we're so heavily recruited from the services and maybe that mindset is seeped in or, or whether it's just something completely unique to the security industry, but I think they're very well aligned. They are, aren't they? And and almost it it pushes back on the notion that does come up in some of the podcasts. Oh, you have to unlearn and relearn. Um, you know, you have to uh, flush out all sorts of um, uh, preconceptions. Now you're in the private sector. Well, well, actually, there's a lot to be gained from keeping a lot of those uh, skills and regimens and uh, motivations, isn't there? Yeah, for sure. And just in the same vein, also understanding what holds us back, whether that's what we can construe as pride or discipline, uh, perfectionism, making sure that the things that we've aspired to in terms of standards in, in our past careers don't now hold us back because we're afraid of failure, for instance. And that that comes up time and time again, um, because obviously in a uh, military context, failure can mean very, you know, big problems. Um, But in the private sector, there's this uh, idea that you need to continually fail. I mean, to be fair, loads of people will get fired for failing. But if you're a veteranpreneur, then you have to be sort of open to it. But 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 I wonder is is it for everyone because people have left the services they want to you know have a new career is veteranpreneurship for everyone well i think that's one of the things that both ourselves and the listeners will get a flavor of by listening to this interview and we can all uh come to our own conclusions i mean i'm really excited to get stuck into this and to help form up my opinions on that question. Absolutely. Well, let's get into it. Scott Walker, obviously a great friend, especially in Arizona and especially in the Southwest and of other people we've had on the podcast, including the corporate security translator, Carlos Francisco. Um, This is going to be an exciting and powerful episode. Let's talk to Scott Walker about veteranpreneurship. And now, let's meet one of the contributors to The Circuit magazine. 
veteranpreneurs setting up a risk management and investigations business with a veteran background. Today, we're really pleased to welcome Scott Walker, CEO and founder, Walker and Associates. John Moss and myself, we're really, really pleased to have you on. How are you doing? Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Tom. It's, it's great to finally have you on. I know you're really big in the Arizona, Southwest and uh, US uh, corporate security community. I know you have big, big friends, including uh, Mr. Carlos Francisco, which we've had on before. But before we look at that, before we look at that, let's look at this topic, veteranpreneurs and risk mitigation businesses. What is the problem you think we need to be aware of that needs to be solved? Why, why, why is this an important topic? That's a, a great question. My sense of urgency around veterans and veteran entrepreneurs or veteranpreneurs is at least in the, with, with our U.S. community and, and our international partners, um, we have been at war for the last 20 years. And so because of that, we have hired a lot of uh, military folks to go fight that war, whether they were on the front lines or they were in support roles like myself. Um, they have served honorably for decades now, and they are coming up to a, a pivot point in their life, in their career, which is, do I stay in and do more than 20 years, uh, or do I leave and, and go do something else? And while I want them to choose what is best for them first and what will, will spiritually connect them and, and keep them happy, um, I, I have a sense of urgency as they're transitioning, they're, they're seeing like, okay, I can go out into the private sector where I, by the way, have never worked. Many veterans, um, their first job right out of school, whether that be college or high school, is the military. Um, and then they've stayed in for 20 plus years. And now they're um, in their late 30s, early 40s, and they're, they're now finding themselves having to understand and kind of I hear a lot of veterans say, I'm going to go start back at the bottom again. And while I don't want them to think of it in, in a hierarchy um, term, like the bottom, I want to think of them like it's a new challenge, it's a new pivot, it's a new experience. Uh, I don't know that the military has really equipped them well with the vocabulary and the culture um, uh, continuity to be... Uh, ultimately successful without some level of assistance. And um, there are great programs that are out there for veterans, and I want them to engage in that. I want them to, to reach to their other fellow veteran entrepreneurs or veteranpreneurs um, that are out there doing these things. So can, I think people look at companies, um, and I'll just use uh, a couple of US brands, um, like Article 15 Clothing and, and Black Rifle Coffee, both veteran-owned companies, and I think they see that success from JT, Matt Best, so on. Uh, and they think, oh, this is really easy. Um, you know, Matt Best went from the army and, and started this clothing company. And now he's a, he's a, a big shot at Black Rifle Coffee. And I can do that. I'm going to start a coffee company. I'm going to start a t-shirt company. And there's so much more to learn about, about business and about the private sector and about the economy. They don't have... Um, they, they think it may, many think it, it's, oh, it's, I just have this idea people are going to want to connect with me because I'm a veteran. And uh, I, while I, I believe in, in veterans and especially as entrepreneurs, and I know we'll get into that, I do have a sense of urgency that they need to have a better understanding of the community. 
And so you believe in them, and 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 of course you are yourself uh, one, um, as many are in the in the EPU uh, world. Uh, what about your journey, your 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 passion to do this? Um, obviously, we know why we're talking to you, but if you could give everyone a flavour of you know why why you and 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 where's your where passion come from? I think that'd be great. I put uh, almost twenty years in the military reserve and over 10 years in, in federal law enforcement, I reached kind of a pivot point and I was thinking to myself, what's, what's next? I've, I've done all this time and all these things, but I don't know that I am gonna want to continue to do them for another 20 years, what's next? And so I started researching uh, the private sector and I figured that would be a logical thing for me to, to go into. And I was really very arrogant actually in thinking, oh, I could, all my skills translate to the private sector and guess what, they don't. Um, but there are some really important ones that we overlook that do and we can get into that too. But the pivot point for me was meeting somebody who had a similar background to me and could mentor me into the private sector. And uh, I really met him off of a fluke. We went to a conference together and I uh, engaged with him and he was uh, um, kind enough to really provide a lot of guidance to me and help me understand the private sector. Um, he was part of a company that was eventually acquired by a much, much bigger company. And so I got to talk to him about the process of acquisition and M&A and what does that mean? And where do you, um, as a, he was a security leader, where do you make that pivot point and say, I'm going to stay with the, the, the smaller company or I'm going to go with the bigger company? And how do you approach those decisions? And that was the, the real um, uh, pivot point for me to say, okay, I think I, I want to go into the private sector. And when I had that opportunity, I was fortunate enough to go into Silicon Valley and work in tech. But when I landed in the private sector, I was woefully, me personally, I was woefully underprepared for what was being asked of me. And it was really my, my arrogance of like, oh, I've, I've investigated homicides and drug smuggling and all these crazy terrorist things. And I thought, well, of course, the private sector is going to want somebody who can do that. And uh, you guys might not know this, but the private sector doesn't really care about homicides. Uh, so I had to figure out, okay, what do they care about? And fortunately, I was in a company that, that was um, flexible enough with, with me and, and um, I uh, adapted to their culture very well. And so I figured it out. But my sense of urgency around veterans and also our law enforcement partners was, oh boy, there's a lot of those folks coming out of the military and law enforcement in the private sector. Are they going to make the same mistakes I did? And, and making mistakes is not bad, that's good, but I didn't want them to go through the, the pain of making, uh, you know, you're only allowed a few mistakes in the private sector before you could be um, castigated away from the, the community. So I wanna, I wanna help people make uh, the right decisions or at least understand the roadmap and reduce that arrogance that I had, which was I, I know everything about you know, investigations and executive protection, because I've been all around the world doing them. Um, and really, it's it's more about understanding, how do you understand the culture of the community that you're joining? Scott, it's, uh, as a veteran myself, and also an entrepreneur, but never have I been somebody who's called myself a veteranpreneur. It 
it obviously interests me. And I wonder if in not making the connection, perhaps I've missed something along the way. You know, and I think the whole thing about being an entrepreneur is to try to spot as many opportunities as possible and leverage them to to the best that we can. And um, so, so, you know, we, we've got the different dynamics here, the US and the UK, and I don't want to get too deeply. And I know because this will be um, this is a very passionate area for a lot of people, and I know that in the UK, we believe certainly that our US brothers and sisters coming out of the military are looked after a lot better. And there's a lot more initiatives set up for them. But just focusing on the commonalities, what as a as a service lever, where should we be looking if if we have a entrepreneurial vibe and spirit, and you know we we have that belief and and that was one of the things i picked up on you you said uh you had this arrogance when you come out but i'm sure that that also served as you know, to give you a lot of belief and fueled you on on on, on your journey so where what what's your well let me make it a bit more simple what's your initial advice to service leavers coming out looking to be an entrepreneur yeah, the entrepreneurs, um, I think their superpower is kind of what you're hinting at, which is our ability. What, and, and I love that you're, 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 we're going to cover this from an international military standpoint, because I think, you know, uh, our, our partners in the UK, Canada, France, they build um, militaries very similar to the United States, our NATO partners, uh, especially. And when you do that, you, regardless of whether you're an NCO or you're an officer, you're being infused with a sense of, of adventure, a sense of discipline, a sense of uh, stick-to-itiveness. And those are all like, it, when you, if you compare them just to regular entrepreneur traits, you already have that as a veteran. And so now you come out and you've got a passion and you've got stick-to-itiveness um, what I've, I've I've been talking with, I sit on a number of boards, and so I I'm, I don't have uh, I, I'm not uh, in a wealth category as some of the fellow board members that I sit with, but I, when I listen to them talk about how they invest in small businesses, how they invest in entrepreneurial activities, they um, appreciate that veteran stick to itiveness, and they appreciate that a veteran's not going to give up when it gets tough. Maybe that that's a good and a bad thing. I think you need to know what's the breakover period point and when are you just throwing good money after bad. But veterans have that unique um, experience of you have eaten the worst food, you've been in the worst conditions, and what came first was the mission and your comrades. And when you have that, infused into you from a very young age, whether you've gone through a military academy, you've come out of college, you've come out of high school, we all go through that indoctrination of boot camp, if you will, right? And um, regardless of the branch, you all go through something that gives you that little extra something uh, that will put you into that category of, I am here, this, my mission is X. 
Um, and when you're in the military, it's very clear, right? And you don't really have to decide what the mission is. You're being told what the mission will be. And so the big transition I, I want veteran uh, veterans to make and, and, and people who want to be veterinarians is figure out what the why is, figure out what your mission is and be passionate about that and be smart about that and go out and, and demonstrate that in your experience. Uh, and, I, and I think that's what is the, the real difference between our civilian counterparts or civilian colleagues and uh, a veteran uh, entrepreneur. Mm. One thing that speaks very loudly to me is what you were just saying about the mission and having that mission-focused clarity is a huge benefit. But I wonder, on the flip side, when we're in the military, when we're in the services... Those missions are always given to us. We, we rarely come up with them ourselves. So it's, is that a problem for people leaving the services to understand, you know, what is their own initiative and how do they find it? Yeah, I totally agree with you, John. I think that's a great point. And that's where finding a, a guide, if you will, you know, somebody who can mentor you. And, and not just one person, it's okay to have multiple mentors uh, and mentorship experiences. I, I still look for them myself and have several of them going on at any given time. And uh, a good mentor will be your sounding board and will not be afraid to say, that's a bad idea, don't do that. Or I really think that you need to evolve how you think about uh, applying the process to achieve that, those goals. And somebody who will be honest with you and, and will be straightforward with you because so often to your point in the military, you know, instruction comes from on high. Uh, it drove me, I was in two branches of the military and you can't get any different from the Coast Guard to the Air Force. Um, they're completely, uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. The Coast Guard is very much um, kind of entrepreneurial, if you will. They're, they don't have a lot of policies and procedures or checklists on telling you how to do investigations, whereas the Air Force literally has a book and a checklist and you will follow it. Um, so for me, it, there, was, there was friction there, but it was good because I got to switch my brain around and, and look at things differently. And I think that's also good for, for our, our veterans who are looking at entrepreneurship opportunities. Is it, are you comfortable with your, your baby, your idea failing? And if you're not comfortable with that, maybe veteran entrepreneurship is not for you right now. It may be you're going to live a long life after the military. So a lot of people don't understand. They think they're going to retire from the military or leave the military and go fishing. And it's just not possible really anymore. So we need people to, to engage in entrepreneurship. Because I wasn't in the military, right? And, and, so, and so I maybe can speak for the loads of other people who never were in the military and, 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 and sort of look at uh, the prevalence of people from the military in security. And, and one of the problems that I would like to ask you, if it really exists, um, is the balance between hierarchical and flat uh, structures. Is that a real thing? Because on the one hand, there'll be camaraderie in amongst your, your peer group. Um, so, so the military is not hierarchical in that sense. 
but 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 in in the world of entrepreneurship, aside from corporations where maybe people might love it, they feel at home, wonderful. Another another you know elongation of uh, grades I can get promoted to. Um, is that a real obstacle to success? I think so, because when I landed in the private sector, I thought I could just recreate everything I had done in the government. And the private sector didn't care if I wrote a 30-page report or a two-page report. They appreciated the two-page report because it was easier for, for them to read and they could understand what the issue was and they didn't care and they were on to the next thing. But I, I found that a lot of the I tried to apply a lot of what I had learned in the military about structure to your point about flats versus, you know, kind of a vertical um, or hierarchical uh, command structure. I found that at least in tech, and I know there, there are a lot of different industries that, that we could address here in tech, they do try to keep things kind of on a flat um, trajectory as far as leadership goes, at least they talk about it. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, CEO, when I was at Facebook, um, talked a lot about being flat. Uh, same thing with Jensen Wong, who was a CEO or is the CEO of NVIDIA when I was there. They both talked about it. In application, I didn't really see that trickle down as much. I did see a lot of kind of what I call empire building. And that's where our, our veteran partners will see like, oh, that looks very much like a, the military. In fact, when I talk to veterans about transitioning to the private sector, I'll use examples like that. Companies are very much set up like in a command structure. You have somebody in charge of operations, somebody in charge of the money, somebody in charge of leadership, so on and so forth. And so while we all, you know, especially in tech again, say, oh, it's we have a flat leadership style, flat, flat, flat. As you scale, that's I have found that that's not always possible. But understand that it has its applications and be comfortable with that change. Because depending on the company, especially when I was a consultant, depending on the company that you're working with, some have very small leadership profiles and some have very large leadership profiles and you need to be able to scale and you need to be comfortable with that change. Not all of our listenership is ex-military, but I'm sure a great portion of them probably do think of themselves as entrepreneurial because the, the way in which the security industry is structured and a lot of us are working for ourselves. And I think a conversation that we have within the circuit quite often is this idea of a brand. And, and if you are a company of one, then actually your personal brand is going to matter a lot and you've got to be very protective of that. So I, I think we can all relate to the kind of mentality and ethos of being an entrepreneur. But I'm wondering, what can non-military people learn from military leavers, from the experiences that they've had? And does that then create an opportunity for service leavers to provide that skill set as a consultancy, as a service, are there opportunities within that? I think so. the The world has changed more. It's not, it's not ridiculous, even though I'm going to say it. The world has changed a lot in the last couple of years, right? Um, but the world is going to continue to change. Uh, I I speak a lot about our various generations that are in. 
uh, the private sector that are in our, our community, our security investigations, executive protection community. And if I, I find that we have overvalued, even though John, you and I are veterans, I, I do find that um, there is room for folks who are not veterans and, who, and I want their perspective because what it's coming down to is how are we as a community evolve, continuing to evolve to meet the risk, continuing to evolve to meet the customer's needs. And when, even if you're in-house in, in a uh, in-house role, if you will, you still have customers. The CEO is your customer, the, the um, employees are your customers, so on. So it doesn't really, in, in my estimation, um, you, you know, and, and, and forgive me if I get this a little wrong, but my understanding is that you in, in the UK will use the what color was your beret um, uh, statement. You know, it, it really depends on what color beret you had, right? And uh, depending on uh, what, you know, how, what level of trust do you have within the organization, within a, a community. And uh, we have that a bit here, you know, if you're coming out of law enforcement, if you came out of the FBI or the Secret Service, you have more cachet with that, that brand. Um, so brands exist, but uh, even though I've said that, I still think we need to get uh, away from uh, building walls with because of those brands. I appreciate that somebody did, you know, served our community, whether it be in law enforcement or the military. And um, I do think that there needs to be a level of acknowledgement there for that sacrifice. But in, in the, our community today, if we are, are um, not wanting the input from our, our friends and partners and colleagues that don't have that quote unquote military experience, the right beret color or the right law enforcement experience, we're, we're shunning a whole part of our community and continuing to build walls is not how we're going to be successful in the future. Uh, what I've always said is our, our communities are not getting safer. Our, around the globe, we've seen conflict uh, kind of like we've never seen it before. Uh, and now we have a war on a massive scale that is going to cost that, the country of Ukraine billions, if not trillions of dollars, um, as well as NATO, as well as the UN. And so we are seeing escalation tensions like we may never have seen in quite some time. I won't say ever, but we've not seen in a long, long time. Things are not getting safer. Things are getting worse. So stop um, saying, or, or I shouldn't say that. I'll say we need to be more inclusive, less exclusive. And with that said, we absolutely can learn from our military leaders and, and they have something to impart, but without arrogance of, I know better because I, I wore X color beret. That shouldn't matter as much. It should be about who you are, what your experiences are, and how you're delivering that experience and helping our society, our community be better. We need to be better. We need to be more inclusive, um, not exclusive. So, so Scott, on a practical level, then, if, if the world is indeed, as we fear, you know, getting more unpredictable and uh you know to 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 both your and john's point there's there's a lot that we can learn from former service personnel um 
if I was trying to set up a business, uh, sometimes people say, oh, I'll just open a business. What are you going to do? And uh, I don't know. I'll just do a business. <laughs> you know, it, it's obviously not a good place to start. Um, what uh, are the gaps that you think they could fill? Because you have filled um, risk mitigation and investigations. Um, is that going to be um, a no brainer in this uh, climate or on a practical level? What should a service personnel leader think of, you know, founding next? Yeah, I think anybody who's, you know, we're, we're all, all in uh, danger of being automated out of a job or having artificial intelligence come in and, and um, do what we do. The good thing is, um, whether it be close protection, investigations, risk analysis, intelligence uh, analytics, we can we should be um, engaging and using robotics, um, artificial intelligence, machine learning technology, and everything that we do. Thing one, that's like I, that's a whole other podcast. But the uh, hey, we did it, we did it, we tried it. We, I, I won't I won't tell you what the fan mail said. <laughs> well, and the reality is, um, we need to be embracing technology, right? Uh, that's that's a no no brainer, but I do think we're in a, in an industry that is going to be even more needed in in at least in the private sector. I think in the public sector as well, but maybe even more so in the private sector because the public sector is not uh, meeting the needs of uh, the the safety of these communities. So I think um, investigation specifically, we are. Uh, at least over the next five to 10 years, I could see a way, a, a world in which um, you don't need to necessarily be sitting in a X location to do X investigations in that X location. I see much more adaptive online, um, what we used to call desk investigations, where you can conduct investigations around the world because we have technology. And if you're applying that technology in the right way, you can do a lot, not everything, but you can do a lot. The similarly with our executive protection partners, the more um, the rich are, or people of wealth of means are traveling, the we've seen that and in, in, you all know better than I do, kind of around the world that has, has ha been happening where folks are traveling, they are targeted because of their wealth. So um, same thing with our, our corporate security partners. If a corporation wants to do business in X country, in X environment, in X uh, with, with trading partners, you need to have somebody who understands the international relations, um, supply chain, uh, physical security requirements, governmental requirements, you know, whether it be GDPR or, or something, some uh, similar ethics and compliance uh, requirement in, in the a country of your choice, you need to understand that these programs um, have to be uh, kind of cobbled together and created by a human. We haven't been able to figure out automation on a lot of these things yet, certainly not on close protection. So, so Scott, I, I'm thinking this is tremendously valuable for, for, for our audience because, well, all right, on the one hand, if there was a true uh, entrepreneur out there, they're already doing their Uber for cats, they're doing it, right? They don't particularly need this episode uh, uh, apart from reinforcing their own spirit. And, and, that's, and that's, that's great. Um, but um, would a safe pair of hands, quote unquote, be to say, I was in the military police, 
I will now turn that directly to the private sector. I was a dog handler. Now I'm going to be a private dog handler. I was uh, a, a sort of an interrogation specialist. Now I'm going to you know, do due diligence. Is that a safe start or, or should they really start to think out of the box as, as, as to what they can um, you know, serve up on a platter for business? I always want them to think out of, outside of the box. But to your point, sometimes going into something that is more comfortable for you is a good way to start, right? Uh, when, uh, you, you know, when we talk about entrepreneurship, people will say, well, just start, go out and do it. Well, what do you do? Who do you do it for? How do you do it? What, do you, what does it cost? What do you charge? You know, what kind of licensing do I need? Do I need insurance? You know, all of those questions are, are, are things that you need to answer before you can kind of quote unquote, just start. I think it's very easy for some of those entrepreneur advisory people to say that because they don't do things in the world that we're doing them in, which actually require a lot of licensing, liability insurance, so on and so forth, right? So with that said, I, I like your approach of if you're comfortable doing that thing, translating that into the private sector is a good way to start, but don't stop there. Take that get that foothold and then look at other opportunities. You should always be learning. You should always be looking for what's next. And like I was talking about earlier, my sense of urgency around people who've done 20 years in the military, maybe they have a pension and they want to come out and they, they maybe think they can go back to, you know, fishing and, and driving around in their RV. Uh, I, I want you to do that if that's what you want to do but realize that we need you in the economy. So if you, if you were a dog handler in the military and you come out and you want to go work for uh, there are several working dog um, companies out there and you want to work bomb dogs at stadiums or whatever, I want you in that community, but I also want you to be thinking about what's next when this ride ends in X amount of time, months, years, whatever, decades, hopefully, if you if you're find a good company to be part of. What's next? What else do I need to do to educate myself to be ready to take the next step? For example, we'll stay on this, the, the uh, um, working dog angle. If you were working dog, working bomb dogs in the military and you come out and you work for a company at working at stadiums, working bomb dogs, do you, should you, if you have a, a veteranpreneur spirit, should you be educating yourself about, well, if I wanted to start my own training business, training bomb dogs, what do I need? You don't have to do it right then and there, drop everything, quit the job and go out and do it, but go experiment, go test and learn, go figure out and run the calculations on everything that you would need to start your business, licensing, insurance, a workspace, uh, you know, what does all that cost? Everything costs money. And this is what a lot of people in the military don't realize is that everything costs money and nobody does anything for free. How are you going to engage your potential clients? Where are you going to source your dogs? So on and so forth. So learning about how to be an entrepreneur while you're working for somebody is a good way to do it. And that's my, my advice for folks is come out, pivot, do something that you're comfortable with, but continue to teach yourself and learn and experience. And for the, if you take anything away from our, our talk today, be, it's okay to fail. It's okay. 
you're going to go out. Maybe you're going to you're going to put ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars into a business, and it's going to fail. I'm telling you, that's okay, because you tried, and you didn't know everything, but you learned something from that failure. And just like in the military, if you don't try, you're not going to learn. You know, Wayne Gretzky said, "You miss 100% of the shots you don't take." And I want people. We need people to come into this economy and give everything that they can get, uh, and and really try because we're we've seen uh, pretty enormous success. And the the person who was a dog handler in the military is going to come out, and maybe they're the next CEO of a great company, uh, but they're not going to know that unless they try, unless they experiment. And I want them to, to have that. That's part of the, That's the biggest part of the entrepreneurial spirit: ability to fail, get back up, and try again. Right? Yeah, I love that advice as well, Scott, and it resonates with me. The the whole idea of it being okay to fail, because I remember there was a point in my own journey where that was something that I needed to overcome, and I got a great piece of advice, and I don't even recall where I got it from so I can't give any credit to either the person or the resource but essentially it was try to fail as many times as possible and it sounded so counterintuitive and I I, I couldn't understand it at first what I realized was I was trying to perfect everything and we all know where that leads it it means you're never going to produce anything or you know you've got one shot at producing you know your life's work and if it's not right then you've wasted the lifetime in getting there so having an approach of being okay to fail and actually saying I'm going to try to fail I'm going to try to fail lots of times because what I realized was especially as a ex-service personnel it's very hard to fail we we think it's it's our biggest fear but actually you know we have so many safety mechanisms inbuilt into us we don't even know when we're doing them uh you know we will never sit in a restaurant with our back to the door we don't even know that we're doing it right and so actually trying to create something and being okay for it to fail just gives us the freedom and the flexibility to actually get to that completion point and that was something that i i was never getting to so that is a great takeaway for this podcast yeah we call it minimum viable product right mvp and I think I love that you're bringing this up, John, because I was thinking as you were talking, so many veterans or so many people who spent time in the military, they don't appreciate, and I didn't either, how you got to where, or how your organization, your job, your unit got to where it was today or when you joined it. And everything that was laid out in front of you, all the training, all the equipment, all the paperwork minutia of your job, had been trailblazed by people decades, if not hundreds of years before you. In the case of our friends in the UK, you all joined regiments that are a thousand years old or something, right? So that cult, that part of the culture, you don't have an appreciation for, okay, now you're out on your own. You got to develop that culture. And I'll take one, I'll share a story from, from real quickly from my experience when I came out and, and started my own private investigations and consulting business, the, I was talking with attorneys and I would tell them, um, okay, I, I'll do this work for you. Um, but I knew from my private sector experience, do you want a written report or can I just send you an email and we can have a conversation about my findings? And 
uh, 99% of the time, the client was asking for just give me a call or send me a short email. Don't send me a report because they knew and I know that when you write a report that takes time and I charge you money for that report for my time on the keyboard writing a report. But in the government or in the military, a report, hey, if you didn't write it down, it didn't happen. And while you should have some notes and you should have things in the private sector, you should write things down. That's important. I don't want to dismiss that. But the amount of hours and days and weeks we spend documenting a report, is that really going to be useful in the private sector? That was my experience is that most of my attorney partners, attorney clients didn't want that because they understood it was an additional expense. Um, now, I still take notes and I document everything in email and so on and so forth. But there that was a um a change for me for the time in my time in the government my mvp was i'm going to shoot you an email with a brief summary of what's what i did and what i found and, and what to do next or my recommendations or whatever it is you know a big report costs more money now there are clients out there that want that i don't want to be dismissive but for me the understanding of what my mvp was was a short concise and to the point Fantastic. I think it's I think it's also a reflection of understanding the client and the changing uh, needs of the client. We all live in a consumer uh, culture where yes. we are constantly having data fired at us every which way we look, and our attention spans naturally suffer, and we just want the salient points in the shortest time possible. And so I, th I think, you know, beyond that, that's also really good recognition of the client needs, which is all part of the, the formula for success. So, Scott, what's uh, what's next for you? I know you, of course, uh, have many, many friends in the industry, so so perhaps it's collaborative. <laughs> what, what's what's uh, what's coming up for you? Well, we're definitely going to be talking at uh, for ASIS International GSX um, this year. We're going to be continuing conversations I'm trying to explore uh, online content, threats, risk. Uh, a lot of people call it the metaverse. It, this, the, the internet 3.0, if you will, as that's evolving, I'm having lots of conversations with folks. I've been on very similar podcasts. We're going to be talking about this at GSX, about how... Uh, how are we as a community of security investigations, executive protection, evolving our understanding of that community? How, to, what, how does blockchain fit in? How does cryptocurrency fit in? What does that mean for us in our industry? And I want to continue having those conversations. I'm going to be, uh, I have my, my own podcast, if you will. It's really something I post on LinkedIn and, and YouTube, but it's called Protective Future, What's on the Horizon. Um, upcoming uh, later this week, I'm going to have Sandra Stibbards uh, from Camelot Investigations on. We're going to talk about the online community of dating and what kind of threats and risks come out of that. So I continue to, to drive the, let's talk about um, threats and risk in the evolving uh, landscape. And uh, so that's what I've got coming up. Thanks for asking. Fantastic. Well, I, I love that. And I really am pleased that we've 
sort of open up the veteranpreneur question. Maybe there are people who are now thinking, I am a veteranpreneur, actually. And, uh, and, and maybe that's a, that's a positive uh, blend of, uh, of attributes. Um, so I, I think we absolutely need to support the community in as many ways as possible. This is a very key aspect to look at for the podcast. Right. From John and myself, it's been a pleasure having you on, Scott. Uh, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. Well, I've certainly learned the new term, veteranpreneurship. I like it. I think it's it speaks to the community in a way that they're going to really appreciate. Um, what did you take away from today, John? Yeah, well, I think one of the things that the interview does is it it opens your mind to considering whether you're an entrepreneur or indeed a veteranpreneur. And and I think for a lot of us in the security industry, you know, by default, as, as we spoke about, we kind of are entrepreneurs just because maybe we're a business of one. And if we just think of ourselves as being self-employed, then perhaps we stay on the same trajectory and we're not necessarily going in a specific direction because we might not be setting ourselves goals or realizing ambitions. But one of the things that defines a lot of entrepreneurs out there is that if you ask them, where do you want to be in five years time? They'll have an answer for that. But I know a lot of us in the industry can be guilty of not having an answer to that question that's that's right because maybe maybe we're fearful that oh we're, we're lacking this skill or lacking that skill and and that really speaks to a lot of the former service personnel that go on a lot of training courses i mean that's really laudable because you're saying well do you know what i have a lot of gaps um so i don't know and um, where do i want to be in five years um well that depends on what skills and and teams i can assemble and 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 so on and so forth and perhaps Ventra, veteranpreneurship is the logical next step or conclusion of a lot of the uh, episodes we've been having. We had Craig McKim looking at you know personal branding, business branding, and development. You know uh, the way you can promote your services and yourself whilst remaining the grey professional. We've had another sort of you know look at marketing back uh, last year. We had uh, you know people you know going into different niches we had anton looking at celebrities we had um other people looking mark at international james. travel mark, mark, james. mark james is is a big proponent of the you know the, the power of branding and understanding um how important that is to you as an individual within the industry because i think it, it it's very common for us to think of ourselves as an asset somebody else's asset the, the, then you competing with art other philosophies like the gray man for instance and and i think that there is definitely a place for the gray man operationally but then how do you reconcile that when perhaps you're out of work or you're looking to take the next step up on the ladder and you have to know how to project yourself and promote yourself and be comfortable doing that that's 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 key isn't it and and yet there is a certain special something with having been in the services or been in the forces and how that adapts um, 
which which I think I think Scott captured very very well um, and leads on very nicely from last year when we had Carlos Francisco talking about you know the corporate security translator how how do you how do you make a transition but that but that you know that is in in end effect uh, an, a piece of the veteranpreneurship puzzle because he's saying how to work in the private sector well then then by extension how to create a business that lives in the private sector which which I think is a nice combination. And, and I really enjoy uh, meeting up with Scott. Scott very kindly came uh, again to um, the Convergence event in Phoenix I ran uh, last year, and hopefully he'll come uh, again this year. But talking about events, uh, we have something that all our listeners should sign up for uh, on the 29th of April. Um, we're going to do another deep dive into a topic that we looked at in 2020, uh, which is about making effective learning and development choices. Um, surely by now, this is all done and dusted, isn't it, John? There's no controversy in uh, where to find your training, is there? Huh. Well, if only it was that simple, right? And that we could just host one single event and everybody would all be informed and all on the same sheet of music and we wouldn't have to cover it again. But then uh, I think we'd probably we'd probably be about to retire then wouldn't we that would be job done it would be wouldn't it because there's still debate like even if i mention this topic there'll be a gasp of uh, breath in some quarters what about online learning <gasps> no it, it's such a sensitive topic it can't be done well maybe accounting for ep uh you know accountancy skills that could be done online but uh, anyway i won't spoil it i won't spoil it we've got lots of nice topics we've got fitness skills we've got osint skills we've got uh choosing the right course and yeah, there will be an element connecting with today's session of, well, what to do if you've just left the services? Where do you put your money uh, and, and how do you assess um, an, an, an EP course? So, so 29th of April, people should definitely sign up to that. I will host the agenda on lectern with a U dot live. But of course, we will, we will be sending out more communications. Um, other than that, I'm sure, John, you're, you're appreciating the influx of articles for the magazine. Yeah, we're we're in the uh, closing stages. Still, perhaps still time if anybody wants to get anything to us for the upcoming issue. But uh, if you miss that one, don't worry. Send it in. You know, production doesn't ever really stop here at the circuit. As soon as we're done with one, uh, we're putting together the next one. So yeah, just get it to us and uh, and and I'll make an attempt at the email address info at circuit-magazine.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Wonderful. We will put your name in lights. You, listener, you may be a first-time writer, you may be a long-time writer, but, you know, you've got a story to tell. We want to hear from you. Fantastic to see Scott Walker today. It's been a pleasure having him on. We look forward to uh, continuing this debate, not least on the 29th of April for our online event. Uh, but from John and myself... This has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.